Yeah, well, I'm from a suburb of Boston. I was going to say, because you don't have an accent, so that's surprising. I've killed it. You have, on purpose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for you. It slips out from time to time. Okay. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, Sean Carter. Sean is a stand-up comedian, writer, podcaster, YouTuber, and everything else, as if there's anything left. He's a new dad, but an old husband. He had one kid and two marriages. He's currently residing in Bristol, Tennessee, with his beautiful family. This Boston dude has been getting acclimated to Southern hospitality, which is, that is such a real thing, and we're going to talk about that. Sean's stories focus on the absurdity of family life and his experience as a Yankee in the South, as well as touching on subjects like junk cars, gasoline fires, and honeymooning at a Pearl Jam concert at Fenway Park. I have so many questions. I better know Sean from meeting him right now. And Sean is here to chat about his album, Boston to Bristol. And uh, we have so much to talk about because as we mentioned, he is from Boston. So Sean, tell us about living in the South. Tell us what got you into comedy. Tell us about your new album. What are you excited about? Also, I forgot to put in here, Sean is an owner of a comedy club and I want to know all of the things. So Sean, tell us. Sure. So living in an RV, I, I don't know that much about because we moved into an RV in February of 2020. And then in March of 2020, every campground closed down, everything closed down. You could not live in an RV unless you were already living in an RV and they like and were just like permanently somewhere. Yeah. Wait, I have so. to ask. I didn't. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting your like intro. Wait. Yeah, no, no, no. It's good. I didn't know that. So what what is it that made it like why why was it? Cuz if you already purchased the RV, why couldn't you like go park it somewhere? Yeah, so you could park it somewhere, but that's what but somewhere with no um amenities. So like you couldn't have like any water hookup or anything like that. So like you can't stay at a campground cuz campgrounds are closed. So if you were the type of person that was set up where you're like I can put 200 gallons of water in my RV and live off of like no, no hookups at all for however long and then go fill up the water again and like park in places that are just like in the woods or whatever. You could live in your RV. And I imagine some people that were like already in campgrounds like could stay there until they find, you know, mobile parks or whatever could stay there until, you know, but I guess indefinitely. But we were like moving from place to place and they closed everything. So... So did you, did, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen and we didn't know for how long that was going to be true. So did you already right. have your baby at that time or were you still just being a husband? No, I was just a husband at the time. My wife and I uh, decided to buy the RV and like travel the country because we, we wanted to move out of Boston. It was just getting very expensive, a lot of traffic, you know, whatever. Um, so we wanted to move out of Boston. So we kind of wanted to go around the country and check out different places, see what we liked. And we got... This was like literally our first stop was Bristol, Tennessee, which is the reason it was our first stop was because her parents lived there. So like that's her hometown. And we were like going to visit them. And we ended up visiting them for six months living in their basement. 
Oh, 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 I won't make you say anything, but that was probably a challenge. <laughs> well, um, luckily, they are wonderful people. Like, they are the best, and um, it could not have worked out. There's no way we would have been there for six months. Probably the hardest thing was, like, deciding what to watch at night because we all sat in the same room and watched the same TV every night. <laughs> That's actually really sweet. Bless. So did you, is is Blue Ridge, uh, um, I'm sorry, what is the name of your comedy club and where is uh, it? <laughs> it's Blue Ridge Comedy Club. It is located in Bristol, Tennessee, and we've been open for about two and a half years now. Okay, so what, was that idea sparked from, we're living in Bristol for six months, I got to do something because some people were doing we know about all the outdoor shows and all because at least in L.A. like people were having van shows and, you know, renting out parking lots and things. Were the rules in Tennessee similar where it had to be outdoors or were you able to have the brick and mortar and just kind of like what we all thought of the South at the time? Like there's no rules. Who cares? Whatever. Is that how it was? Yeah. So in Tennessee, I think I imagine the rules were a lot more lax than they were in other places. I think that we had closed things for a very short time and then everything was kind of at like 50% capacity as far as like restaurants and stuff. It probably opened sooner than a lot of the rest of the country. However, we did not open until after the vaccine and we thought that we were kind of like through it. And then, of course, I think like a couple of weeks later, there was like the Delta variant and, you know, all that. So, um, but yeah, we waited. We waited until after everything was done. And we decided to open the club because we had like bought a house and we were like, we're going to live here. And comedy had been such a big part of my life. And I told my wife, I was like, hey, look, I can just be a dad. Like, that's fine. I've done comedy for long enough. I can just live my life and just enjoy it. And that's fine. And my wife, Sarah, who's wonderful, was just like, no, like, it's so much fun and you're good at it and we need to continue doing it. So, like, there's no comedy clubs near us. Let's just open one, which is such a wild idea. But we've been doing it for two and a half years now. I love that so much. And I, I think for uh, non-creative people, when you get married, having a supportive partner in the creative space, because I don't know if Sarah does creative work herself. I didn't look up her info, but... No, you're shaking your head. He, he's saying that she does not. Having someone that understands how that fills our tank, it's like, oh, you'll stay married forever because you're like, oh, you get mm -hmm. it. And you're willing to support my dreams. Like, that's amazing. So where, so if, if because Bristol isn't really, it's not like what we know of like Nashville or Knoxville or like big cities in Tennessee. So how do you, I mean, I guess 20 years in comedy would mean you have forged relationships, obviously, but how do you book it out? Like, how do you draw people? And is there enough of a like natural audience in the area where you find selling tickets is not that much of a, a slog? Um, no, selling tickets is a real slog. That's it is difficult. Um, Bristol, Tennessee is pretty small. Like it's a very small market. It's not Knoxville. Knoxville is the closest of the Tennessee cities to it. And Asheville, North Carolina is about the same distance. But those are sort of like, if you were in Bristol, you'd be like, wow, that's the big city, you know? So, <laughs> so Bristol is small and I'm, you know, I bring in a lot of friends of mine from years of doing comedy. And I found with some of them, like, you know, it's just not working to get enough people in the in the room. Uh, you know, it's not the, they're very funny, but they it's something that I'm learning as I go is that like you need to even if you're not a name and you're not known, you need to have these like sort of videos, these marketing assets that people can see 
and want to come see you. Yeah. It's wild how much that is effective. It I mean, I I don't I hate resisting it because I know how effective it is, but I've seen a difference in just my comic friends who as soon as they started doing videos, they could sell out not like, you know, a 5,000 seat arena, but they're selling out decent sized theaters and and they said, "Oh, yeah. it's literally Instagram and TikTok that changed everything for them." So, are you Overall, though, with keeping the space and getting people out there, have you found, is there a rhythm for your own comedy that now the community kind of knows you? Because Tennessee, in my experience, is very community oriented. And so they, you know, this is a wild generalization, but there can be a lot of support just because it's sort of insular and it's Southern. So do you find people are like, oh, you know what? Sean's going up on Friday. I'm going to pop by and go see him. Or is it still hard? I think it's, I mean, the community is definitely supportive. I am basically like the house MC there oh. for, for now. Um, like I said, I moved there and there was no comedy there. So like I kind of had to be the house MC. And um, so there's a lot of people that come to the club regularly that know me and they know my jokes. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell this again. <laughs> but, um, but they it's nice because they start like kind of trusting your judgment and who you're bringing in a little bit. You know what I mean? And yeah, there's definitely, we have like, um, we have memberships. So like we have like a year membership that somebody can buy and they can come to like however many shows they want, you know? That is so and, smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's worked out all right. Um, and we've had a couple of people that buy them and they, they really don't come out much, but I know them. I know them well and I know that they're like trying to support in a way that they can, you know? That's really lovely. And I think that it's, I mean, we always call open mics and doing the reps is going to the gym or not we, but me and my friends. And so yeah. gyms have monthly memberships. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that that business model, my brain can totally understand why that works. That's lovely. And so, okay, so if people want to come out to the club and see, we're going to talk about your album next, but if people want to come to the club and see you and get FaceTime with you, what's the best way to do that? Just show up like Wednesday night <laughs> is open mic night. So I'm there like Wednesday nights, except for this week because I'm in Massachusetts, but um, I'm usually there Wednesday night, open mic night. I just started having somebody else host it for me, um, but I'm always there like I work the lights and the sound and like you know you are multi-talented that is a lot <laughs> yeah, of yeah, pressure because yeah. that's a skill yeah. too damn good job you okay so come come out to Bristol friends or if you're in Knoxville or Sevierville or Pigeon Forge look at me knowing all the places in Tennessee <laughs> so proud of myself um, Dolly Parton I heard is going to be there next week so everybody should show up okay so Sean now we need to talk about the reason that you are here uh, Boston to Bristol putting together an album is an insanely hard thing to do. It takes a really long time. So tell us how long you were developing it and what's your favorite track and do you, how did you come up? Well, I want to know about I Worry About Offending People, which is one of the track titles that you have. And I want to know because that's honest and that's what a lot of comics go through. And, you know, I don't like the, the comic, like the general trope of like, oh, you can't say anything anymore. I'm so tired mm -hmm. of hearing that. So um, that's a lot of questions at you at once, but please jump in and tell us things. Sure. So, um, I mean, I've been working on some of these jokes I've had for years and years. And, you know, it wasn't like I was like, this is going to go on the album. I was just doing them. And then um, as I, I reached out a couple of years ago, I think, to the fine folks at Blonde Medicine. And I was like, I, you know, I want to make an album and um, I have this idea and I'm working uh, all the time in the Bible Belt. So I'm like working clean, even though I'm not 
I've never thought of myself as a clean comic, but I'm just doing it because I kind of need to where I am. And so I was like, I think I'm going to make a clean album if you guys want. You know, I'd love to work together. And um, we just kind of went back and forth. I sent them some like tapes of stuff that I was doing. And, you know, eventually when the timing worked out, uh, we got it together and we, we recorded it. But yeah, I was like completely trying to work clean, uh, trying to put together this entirely, I, you know, it, without being like corny, you know, without people being like, oh, he's a clean comic. I'm, I don't think I am. I was going to say, I, I listen to your stuff. You don't say offensive things, but I didn't think of you as like Nate Bargatze clean of like, I can't even, this dude doesn't say anything bad about anybody. That's not how you read. It's just not curse words. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we eventually got it together and we, we recorded it in Somerville, Massachusetts. And everybody was like, why wouldn't you record it at your club? And it's like, cause I've told those jokes a million times at that club. I want like a genuine reaction from them, from people that haven't heard them before. And I did comedy in Boston for like 15 years. So like I have all these people that used to come to shows that like, I don't know, they're friends of mine. I never got a fan base. I just had like 30 new friends, I think, you know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> so I had like all these new friends and um, I had all these people that would come out to see me in Boston. So I was like, I'll just do this in Boston with a bunch of people that I know like me already that haven't seen these jokes. That's awesome. And did you do um, a special recording with it or just the audio? So it's just audio as far as like the actual what's being released. Um, there's like clips that they cut for social media and stuff. And I posted one of them yesterday, the day before or whatever. And it's like it's gotten some good traction, like more than anything I've ever posted. And I'm like, man, is this just like professional editing or what? You know, <laughs> I don't know. But Sure. And um, so the for the the track, I worry about offending people. I'm not asking you to tell the joke because people should get your album and listen for it, which it is out. I don't have the date in front of me. Um, when does your is your album already out, or when does it come out? It's December fifteenth. Okay, so, so it's, it's available coming. for pre order now, and you can I think you can hear like one or two tracks right now if you buy it or something. But awesome. December fifteenth, it's out. So the I worry about offending people is what is the the concept there that made you talk about that? It's kind of like there's certain words like so the the list of words that you're not supposed to say keeps getting longer and i know that there's like a certain point where people no matter who you are i think there's a certain point where you go like okay well that word we can't say anymore and so i have a couple of words that i talk about in it that like i think are i'm not an edge lord you know what i'm saying i'm not like why can't i say this or whatever but <laughs> you know i talk a little bit about like um I had read an article that you shouldn't say homeless anymore. And I talk a little bit about that, which I think like some people are sort of still, I will say unhoused person. And I talk about that in the joke where I'm like, whatever you want me to, whatever the term is that, you know, it is going to be appropriate and that isn't going to make people upset. That's what I'll use. But I just talk about a little bit like how there's still words that people are trying to get on board with. And, um, you know, and then I do, a little, and there's a little wordplay in there that kind of makes the punchline. It's not like me, like trashing the idea of like not saying these words anymore. So that's awesome. Yeah, I saw, um, I wish I could credit the comic and I'm sorry that I can't remember your name, but there was a comic who's big on TikTok who did a video of, he's like, he shoots himself walking into this downtown space and there's all these, you know, uh, tents and whatnot and a bunch of unhoused people. And there's a person that's holding a sign that says, I'm homeless and need work. And he goes over and just goes, 
it's unhoused and walks away from right, the person. Yeah. And I'm like, that made such a, you know, such a killer point of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're the ones that care yeah. so much about that. But to your point, I mean, I, I get it. I would say that too, but um, it's an interesting, I love it when albums make me think. So that's a, that's a really you're making me think. Um, well, that's lovely. Okay, so December 15th, we can get it everywhere. I know right now it's available on iTunes and Bandcamp and on the Blonde Medicine website. If you go there, then that's basically where they link you to is um, iTunes or Bandcamp. But also, there's a lot of great albums on the Blonde Medicine website, so there's no harm in just going there, you know? You're so nice. Only get Sean's. Sean's the only one on the episode <laughs> right now. He's given his time to us. Ignore every other comic. Forget it. I'll say it. Yeah, get Sean, right. Sean's album. Come on now. Friends, we will link to all of that. Okay, so now the audience is going to kill me if we don't move on. Any- anyway, so we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to move on to the entree. On- wow, Kate. I haven't done this in a minute. We're going to move on to the entrees after a quick break. We're back. And now it is time for the entrees. Okay, Sean, I know you're an avid fan of the podcast. You already know this, but I'm just telling this for new listeners. We always ask the same questions. We always start with the same first question. And this is where you tell us all the nitty gritty. This is what people tune in for and they want to know how bad it actually got. So the first question we always ask is what was the your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your income? Oh, uh, that was, I believe that was Star Market, which is a grocery store in it was a grocery store in norwell massachusetts it's not anymore i don't think that i was the reason for it <laughs> but, but you don't know <laughs> yeah i'm not sure um but yeah that i was a um i would get the the carts the shopping carts or like in tennessee they call them buggies which has been a fun thing to get used to yeah yeah um so i would like retrieve the buggies from the parking lot and i would like bag groceries and that was the first job that I ever had that I think the government knew about. (laughs) The government knew about. Okay. Did you do any jobs before the government started taking taxes that would count as customer service? Like I count babysitting or like newspaper delivery or did you do anything under the table prior to, did you say Starwell or Star Market? What did you call it? Oh, Star Market. Star Market. Did you do anything before that? Um, Yeah, I delivered papers from whenever, I don't know what the youngest age you can do it from, but I, I was like always like, when can I start working? So, uh, which is so weird because I do not enjoy working mostly, but <laughs> but I want to earn money. So I was like, when can I make $3, you know? <laughs> so I started delivering newspapers like, I don't know, at 10 or whatever you're allowed to do it at. And I did that basically up until I could get a job at the grocery store. It's funny because I don't normally prompt what I thought people did prior to their paid jobs, but you have big newspaper delivery energy. And so I was like, I think Sean did that at some point. So that's awesome. Did you now, this is the part that I never understand when we get paper delivery people. Were you playing sports in, in school when you were doing that? Yeah. This is why, how are all of you able to play sports and deliver papers at what time did you have to get up? Honestly, I have no idea when I was doing this, but like my sports are all after school, so I didn't do. But it's still tiring, Sean. You're still so you're you're getting up at what like conceivably four a.m. to have papers like wrapped and delivered. Then you're going to school from I don't know seven until three. Then you have practice. Then you have homework. Like God bless the energy of youth. But I just oh I I just skip the homework. That was the trick there. Okay. Sean recommends skipping. I'm writing this down. Skipping homework. (laughs) You heard it here first, kids. Okay. So you did paper delivery. Then you went to Star Market. Star Market was through the end of high school. Like, did you stay loyal to that job? 
Um, no, they actually went out of business while I was working there. Aww. Again, I don't think I had fault. anything to do with no, it. No, it's your fault, Sean. It was the first time in my life that I ever got severance pay, which was pretty sweet as like a 17-year-old <laughs> to get laid off in July and get like $400. Oh, man. That's the best. You can live on that. Yeah, yeah. My parents were like, when you get a new job? And I was like, I'm not until I run out of this money. <laughs> which you can make last for a long time. Okay, so yeah. you get severance pay at 17. Did you go on to college or did you go straight into the workforce? Um, I went to community college for a minute and uh, tried that out. And then I dropped out of there numerous times. And then I went back into like, well, I was always working. I never like, I don't, I don't like live a life where I could like uh, go to school and not work. Sure. Like I didn't have, I don't have money to do, or I didn't have money to do that sort of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I would have to work. I would always work like 30 or 40 hours a week, even when I was in like, you know, school. So. So after Star Market, what was next? I worked at Home Depot for a bit. Oh, do you have stories from there? Oh, from Home Depot? Yeah. Oh, man. It's just like it's just such a big company that like none of those when I was working there, none of the employees liked it. And they were all basically everybody was just stealing stuff from there. I mean, they, but it's because they, they wouldn't pay anybody, you know, like I remember one year I got a raise that was like, I mean, it was like 0.1% or something. And I was just like, what do you even, do you want me to be here? <laughs> so people would just steal from there all the time. And not me, I would never steal from there. But like a lot of people that I know would, and like one guy got busted. He was just selling grills out front, like, which is the dumbest thing. Cause he had, he was the only person with the key for it. So like, it was pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, he was loading up like $500 grills on people's trucks for like 50 bucks. He'd be like, give me 50 bucks. I'll just like throw it on your truck. Sean, you have to be joking that someone would be that stupid to blatantly. Like I thought when you said stealing, I was like, oh, they're taking one of those mini Christmas trees and like chucking it into their car like a piece of wood. (laughs) Selling grills at the front of the store. That's such Boston energy of like, I wish somebody would. Like that's insane. So he got caught and then did they, I mean, that's that's a felonious amount of offloading. So did they- Did he go to jail? I, I think it was technically like grand uh, or um, I don't know, whatever, grand larceny, larceny. or something like that. Yeah. But but, um, but he didn't go to jail because it was I think I think essentially the way that they like actually caught him was was essentially entrapment because they had somebody walk up to him and be like, hey, for fifty dollars, will you put one of these on my truck? And he I talked to him later and he's like, I thought it was weird because I always asked them if they wanted me to do it for 50 bucks. <laughs> and this person asked me, but I did it anyways. And that's Dumbass. how he got caught, which I think they, maybe that wouldn't hold up in court, but they they fired him and they made him sign a thing saying that he like did whatever wrong, you know? See, I'm surprised they didn't also, you know, like interrogate him to figure out how many girls he sold and be like, you owe us all that money yeah. in labor. I don't know, I mean, I guess that would be indentured servitude, but like, I don't know what the, you know, if you're not gonna press charges, whatever i mean you know i don't know i think home depot just has so much money that they're just happy to be rid of somebody that's like just they want to fix the leak you know what i mean yeah they're losing a bunch of money they just want to get rid of that it's funny because i've learned from interviews on this show that technically it's not theft until the customer crosses the threshold past like the parking lot and so it's Mm. really hard for people that work in retail to even accuse this is in the customer setting i don't know about employees that are stealing but it's really hard to 
even go after them because of the technicality of what is actually stealing because they can always say yeah. oh no i was planning on paying for this if they even if they put it down their pants which is wild to me i've heard home depot is very rigid because they uh have like a, a formula for how an, an, a Home Depot employee is supposed to be, as do most, I guess, big corporations. Did you find yourself indoctrinated into that, that if you didn't say, hello and welcome to Home Depot, here's where the wood is, here's where the blah, blah. Like, was it like that? I think that um, running a Home Depot, like in Rockland, Massachusetts, you're just not going to get people on board with that type of thing, <laughs> you know? You walk in and people are just like, how are you? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And then if you're trying to find something, when I started there, honestly, when I started there, they were very much like no customer should ever be like looking for something. Like if you see somebody, you get right on them, whatever. And I learned real quick after about six months that like, cause I was doing it. Like I was, when I started, I would like try to help people as much as I could. I learned real quick in like six months that like, they did not care. You were not getting rewarded for uh, being a good employee and you know, you're never going to get a raise and all of that. So I was just like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not putting in the extra effort. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to ring people up, get them out of here. That's it. And um, yeah, man, it was wild. I mean, I've seen even at just Home Depot at like the checkout. I saw like wild stuff, you know, please tell. It's just like, OK, one day I was uh, I was at the, you know, the lumber aisle where everybody's checking out their lumber. It's usually contractors and stuff. Um, and they got those five gallon buckets, you know, they got those like Home Depot. They're orange, orange buckets. Yeah. 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 And so we would usually keep one of those by the register as like a trash can, just like near there. So you could throw out stuff easily. So the person across from me, they're ringing up somebody and the guy that they're ringing up just whips it out and starts peeing in the bucket. Yeah. No way. Yeah. 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 Middle of the day. This is not like was end of the night grabbing some Takis off the... the was he intoxicated? Yeah. Like, what was the, like... There's restrooms at I Home can, Depot. Yeah, I can only imagine that he was drunk. Like, there, <laughs> I, I can't say that for sure, sure, but I can't imagine another reason why he was like, there's just no way I could wait any longer. <laughs> and he wasn't doing a little dance right before he did it or anything. It wasn't like, there's no indication it was about to happen. Oh, my gosh. So, what did... I mean, do you were you there that day, or that's a story you heard? Oh, I was there. I saw it happen. Yeah. So what did, did they have to call the cops for indecent exposure? What was the like? No, we were all just like happy to see him leave. Like he, he like put it away and walked away and we we're all like, did you? Did everybody else just see that? Am I the only one that saw yeah. that? That's so insane. What else did Which you see? Which is like one of those things that if you're in customer service, you probably know like if somebody does something wild, but it's done in like a short amount of time, you're just happy they're gone. That part. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also because the thing that I don't think people realize is when someone is that unhinged that they're just going to whip it out and pee in front of human beings, you do not like you have to in your own brain think what's coming for me if I go to that human and say like, hey, could you put your penis away, please? Like yeah. you, you kind of just want it to leave because you're like, if they're willing to do that with an audience of humans in a public space. I, it only goes down from here. Like it yeah. doesn't get better. They're not going to be like, oh my gosh, that was so indecent. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to put hands on you. Like you're going to get right. hit. That's yeah, for sure. Did you see anything else? Did you ever see people like, cause you know how there's those little gums and like tiny little mm, tchotchkes at the front when you're checking out. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see people just, Bum, that's in my pocket now. Uh, I never saw people steal those things, but I did. I saw somebody walk out one day with like a very lumpy jacket 
And they were like, and they went through the thing where the alarm goes off, you know, like if you haven't undone the sensors. Um, and we like went out and I don't know, we got them and they opened their jacket and they had, I think, I want to say like 25 smoke detectors Sir. in their jacket. Yeah. What, 25? I could, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. again, I'm not, I'm not into the thievery either. I think it's shitty, but maybe two is probably yeah, yeah. easier. Like 25. No, they had a, they had a big house, but not enough money to buy smoke detectors. <laughs> Oh, they say that's a real thing, though. They overbought. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So what else? Did you see anything else there at Home Depot? Um, one time somebody came. I mean, this is like silly, but somebody came through with like a bunch of tiles where they put stickers on them. They like clearly marked them with the wrong stickers. And it was like, you know, the box of tiles instead of it's not like a single tile. It's like a box. And they put stickers on them that said like 99 cents. And they're like, no, it's 99 cents per box. And I was like, clearly that's not what the price is. Like, you know that. And you put that sticker on there. And then they asked to talk to the manager. And I was like, I mean, I guarantee the manager is not going to sell this to you for this amount. Because they did have a thing at Home Depot. Like their rule was like, if something's marked with the wrong price, you got to sell it with that price. But they were like, there is a limit because people will put stickers on things. So I was like, this is one of those cases. This guy was trying to get out with like $1,000 worth of stuff for like, you know, 20 bucks. So I was like, dude, this isn't going to work, you know. And the guy was like, I want to talk to your manager. I was like, all right, I'll call them over. I call over the manager and the manager's like, no, that's not, we're not selling that to you for that. And then that guy was like, I will meet you in the parking lot. Like he was Sir. like, I'm going to fight this manager now. Yeah. Okay. That's a reasonable response. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and, and do you think that the fighting is going to be the thing that sets it over the edge and gives you those tiles for 99 cents? Because right. I don't, the logic of idiots is wild. It's wild. It's because it's not logical. Yeah. So, okay. So that was Home Depot. So how many customer service or well, anything else from customer from Home Depot that we need to know that was insane that you saw? No, I think that's all of my Home Depot okay. standout moments. Okay. Did you, um, so after, so Star Market was, well, delivering papers, Star Market. Then we had, you got severance at 17 from Star Market. Then directly from there, whilst you were in community college, you worked at Home Depot. How long did you last at Home Depot? Uh, I was probably there for maybe two years two years okay that's a long time uh and then after well how many customer service jobs have, total have you had did you go did you go from home depot to more customer service oh man i worked at a coffee shop for a little bit called mary lou's mary lou's news and um yeah they they it's like a coffee shop that only employs like i don't know 16 to 19 year old girls and um it's a good market for you sir <laughs> yeah, i was well at the time i think i was like probably 21 or 22 oh. or something. And I was friends with a bunch of girls that worked there. Well, they're probably, they were my age. So whatever, they were like 16 to 25 or something, you know. But I was friends with a couple of people that worked there and they were like, you should come work with us. And I was like, all right. But the the application legit only had two jobs that you could apply for, which was um, security or coffee girl. So I applied for coffee girl and I got the job. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Wait, so instead of, I have to understand, like Coffee Girl makes sense to me, but security for a coffee shop is the most Boston shit. Of, I'm going to keep <laughs> saying that, but like, are people robbing you of the beans? What is there to steal yeah. from a coffee shop? Like, Well, you know, 
with the with all those girls in there, they needed some security from the landscaping crews that came in every day. Lord, know? so they had to stand in the corner like a you know like a bouncer or something. And no, they were just it was like it was like loss prevention stuff. Oh. It wasn't like yeah, yeah. I was so excited for the next story. We were like, and I saw a security guard bounce out a landscaper. <laughs> okay, so- no, but they did. At some point, they they had like little stools that you could sit at, like a coffee bar, you know, and they they legitimately had to take them out because some dude just kept sitting there all day and was like, they're like, it's creepy how long you're here and things that you say and whatever. So they had to remove the stools so that nobody would sit at that bar all day. Why do creepos ruin everything? Like people need a stool at a coffee shop. You want to sit down. That's insane. Okay, so you how long were you a coffee girl? Um, I probably only did that for like three or four months or something. What made you leave that? I just didn't like it. I was, you know, I, I was not enjoying my time there. They kind of like, none of the girls wanted me to, most of the girls that were not my friends did not want me there because they thought that I was like ruining their tips. Like I wasn't getting enough tips. Oh. No, none of the, all the guys, every guy that came in in the morning would be so disappointed that I was making <laughs> their coffee, you know? <laughs> They did not want me. <laughs> oh, that doesn't feel good. Sorry, Sean. I think yeah, you would right. be a lovely coffee girl in your skirt and your hat, and I would not have yeah. judged you. Okay, so you you lasted three or four months as a coffee girl. What was next? Um, I worked security at a hospital. Did you, do you have a thousand stories? I have some stories for sure, yeah. Oh, wait. I, God bless. Was this in Boston proper or was this still Rockland? This was in Quincy. So Quin- that's oh, like, okay. Yeah. Next to Boston. Yeah. Okay. So hospital, what kind, you don't have to say the name of the hospital if you don't want to, but what kind of, was it like a, a, you know, a children's hospital? Was it a general hospital? Was it like, what kind of hospital? Well, it was, it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, perfect. It may in some, in some fashion, but like the, the company that I work for, I guess has been taken over time and time again. So it was called Quincy medical center back then. And it was uh, like, I guess a pretty general hospital. They had an emergency room, you know, they had like an ICU, they had, you know, doctor's offices, all that sort of stuff. But I worked mostly, we worked in the emergency room or patrolling, you know, just walking the grounds. And did you... Or sitting in the parking lot, making sure people got to their car safely or whatever. And did you ever have to bounce anybody from the hospital? Well, no, that's the, that's the problem with that is that you don't bounce them. You got to keep them there. So that's even worse. You know, like how we talked about, like, you just want them gone. But at the hospital, you're like, oh, no, you're staying here. And usually it's that they don't want to stay there. Like, they're usually on what they call, like, a Section 12, which is, like, a fifty-one fifty committed. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, usually it's, like, somebody going, like, I'm out of here. And you got to go, well, you can't leave. And so my job really was to de-escalate. My job was to talk this person into, you know, staying here calmly not physically restraining them, you know, and at times we did have to physically restrain people, but that was the last, you know, the last choice. Were, did they, so as part of the security training, were you trained in conflict resolution? Because de-escalation for someone who's mentally ill is not something that like a normal security guard just knows how to do. Like, I don't know that I would know how to do it in the world. And I've had a ton of experience with mentally ill people. Like, were you trained? Yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, you know, not like we all went to college for it, but we got some training on it. And then once you're, I mean, once you're in it, you learn pretty quickly what sorts of things work. And you are... You definitely have an advantage like being in a hospital with a lot of other people in like this setting rather than like in somebody's house where they're just like 
you know, able to grab anything that's there, run into a room, lock themselves in there, you know. So in a hospital, you're definitely like you're able to kind of control things a bit more than in other places. So um, I think probably it's it's a little easier there. But yeah, it's it's you get you get your training on the job. I bet it's OTJ for sure. So did you ever have an experience where you were like, oh, I think I may die. Like, this is really, really bad. Or was it mostly just crazy? Um, it, I mean, there are like certain there there are certain people that told me that they were going to kill me. Like they're like, I'll you know, I know where you work and I'm going to come back here and, you know, murder you. So that didn't feel good, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it never happened. So hey, like you survived. Times, <laughs> after a few times of people doing that, you know, the next person that says it, you're like, yeah, all right. Cool, like, man. Thanks, it, I guess. It, it kind of becomes old hat. You're like, ah, yeah, <laughs> people say that all the time. I wish you would, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, what attracted you to that job? Did you have a friend that worked in security there or somebody? Because a lot of these jobs are like word of mouth in my experience at that age. Yeah, my friend worked there um, and he was he was just basically like, you can make more money than you're making at Home Depot. And I was like, sold. <laughs> um, so I went over there and um, did that for a while. And, you know, it, it was really either you're sitting in a chair in an emergency room, reading a magazine, doing like nothing, or you're like, you know, working with three other people to restrain somebody, you know, being spit on. And, you know, kicked and yeah, it was it was one extreme or the other. I was going to say the highs and lows of that would be really exhausting. I I feel for people that work in a situation kind of like firefighters or EMTs where there could be a lull of so many hours of nothing. And then it could be just like six hours in a row of just utter chaos. And just that yeah. that roller coaster every day that can't be good for your adrenal system like that. Just God bless. Okay, so how long were you uh, restraining people at the security job at the hospital? Um, I did that for two years. Damn. Yeah. Sean, that's a lot of... So were you doing comedy at the same time? I started my first set ever was while I was working security. It had to have been. It had that job had to have inspired you to get to an open mic to take that somewhere. (laughs) I I showed up for my first set ever like with in my security outfit because I didn't plan properly for like how long it would take to get from like Quincy to Rockland to Boston. (laughs) So I had to like just I had to take the shirt off because they made us wear like security uniforms that were like we had like a badge, like a metal badge, like the American flag on, you know, button down. So I had to like I basically went on stage in like black pants and like a white T-shirt just being like, yeah, this is a normal thing to wear on stage. <laughs> but then you're like, I have so much experience with restraining mentally ill people. I have to get into comedy because it's it's more restraining of mentally ill people. So good for me. Oh, man. I Okay. So how was your, how'd your first set go? Were you just, did you just talk about the job or what did, did you like shit your pants? How'd you handle it? <laughs> um, I had a couple beers. You know. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> and um, I had a lot of friends like so I started I was probably like 20 and 22 or whatever at the time so at that age like I just remember having so many friends (laughs) like so many friends at 22 that would actually come to a comedy show you know the further you get into comedy and the older that you are and the more of your friends have kids and all that stuff the less people that are like gonna actually go so that age I had probably like 40 people that came out like for that because they were like this is a big deal. 
like the comedy connection in Boston was like the place, you know, I mean, you'd see major acts there and this is their like Monday It was a bringer show. And they, I don't know how many people you had to bring, but like I blew past it. And, um, there was also like, I'd say like 80 other people in the audience. So it was really nice. Yeah. It was a really nice crowd. And of course you have that many friends there. They're really friendly. So like my first time ever on stage, like I look, I've bombed plenty, but my first time on stage, I killed. Like it was amazing, and it's not any jokes that I would ever tell again. It was like probably stuff that I thought was funny, and I was like ripping off somebody else's voice and whatever. But that time, it felt amazing, and that's like what forced me to follow it for like the rest of my life because it was like chase that um, dragon for that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh heroin. Uh, okay, so yeah. yeah. After, so you do the psychiatry or the I keep because I, I wrote psychiatrist work there is what I wrote down. So you do the hospital de-escalation job slash security for two years. You start comedy during that time. Then how many more customer service jobs did you have? Or did, at some point, did you get to step off of the hamster wheel and just do comedy? So I did, man, after that, I, I did eventually stop doing like day jobs, but um, after that, I was I worked at the post office as a mailman for a year. Uh, I have so many questions. Yeah. Keep going. I'm going to go back to that. Keep going. I'm taking uh, notes. I worked as a landscaper for a couple of years. I worked um, painting cars for a couple of years. And then at some point, I worked in my buddy's shop, just like kind of putting together these kits to um, convert VW buses, like put Ford Focus engines into VW buses. He's like some... He's like a crazy genius that figures out how to do things like that. And he just paid me like good money to like put things in bags, like nuts and bolts in bags and stuff just to like, I don't know, he needed a little bit of help, but he was also like, hey, this is easy work for you and you're doing comedy and it's like the hours are easy for you. So he like helped me out in that way. Bless him. I I miss that like East Coast loyalty. I mean, that's a real thing. Like, sorry, West Coast, it's where I live. But like that loyalty of (laughs) I got you, I'm going to support you however I can and possibly take a loss financially just to keep you going. God, I love that. Okay, so you were a parts bagger, parts bagger. Okay, so I, of those, I would say for sure, for sure, being a post office person is customer service. Landscaping is customer service. Painting cars is customer service. So I'm going to stop your customer service jobs at the painting cars. So right now we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you've had roughly eight customer service jobs, not counting company. Okay. So that's our total. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Of those eight, which was your favorite? Um, I would say the post office. That was probably the best one. Yeah. Oh, I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> how, 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 why, what was so good about it? Did you get gifts around Christmas? I'm asking too many questions at once, but did oh, people man, give you, that's, that's a great question. So I think that like, technically you're not supposed to give gifts or receive gifts, give the gifts, give your mailman money, whatever, or better carry your money, whatever. Um, but, uh, I think that they're not supposed to receive them. I'm not really sure. But um, I worked in Brockton, Massachusetts, and I was sort of a temp. So even if there were gifts left, I would not get them. What I would do is I would just leave them in the regular carriers like area where they set up every morning. If I had ever received, you know, tips that were supposed to go to somebody, that's what I would do. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the time you just you're just in a truck either driving from house to house and delivering mail or you are 
you know, you, you get your bag and you get like, you walk a loop, you walk up one way and down the other way, and then you go park somewhere else and deliver the mail on that street. And that's just like, it was just a nice job because you're just kind of walking all day, you know? I mean, it's just like a nice way to spend the day. So on days when the weather was nice, it was like the customer service was really minimal. Like you did not see people very much. There was a couple of times, like there was one guy that approached me that was like, I need my check right now. I'm waiting on a check. And he like, and the mail works in a way that like, I can't just find, it's all set up so that like, I'll get to it when I get to it, but I can't just reach in and find your address. So this, and they wouldn't, they tell you not to anyways, you know, but this guy, he told me that he needed his check. And I was like, well, I'll get, I'll be there in like an hour, I'm sure or something like that. And then he came up to me like another five houses up and like, got like more threatening. And I was like, I just can't get it. Like, I can't help you with this. And like, he was in the way that like, he was so threatening that it, like, I started feeling my adrenaline, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I felt like this is something that's going to happen here. And then he was like, oh, well, I'll just come back with my two pit bulls and like, you know, see if you can find it then or something. And I was like, all right, man, like I legit cannot find it. Like, I just don't know where it is. Um, it would take me as long to dig through the mail as to just get to your house. So he never showed back up. But like that sort of thing, that's really the only time when I dealt with somebody that was difficult, you know? Yeah, I could see. I mean, when it comes to the financial piece of it, I guess I could see that. But also, it's a liability for you to just be like, oh, hey, stranger, I'm going to assume you live at that house. I'm going to assume this is all for you. It's like, I see why the post office is like, nope, you get to it when you get to it for that exact reason. Because I could just be any old person and I could write on the back, pay to the order of Kate Gaffney and then sign it and cash it. I That would would scare me. even if somebody's standing in their yard, you can't hand them their mail. You have to put it in the mailbox unless they want to get their ID out and show it to you, which like who would rather do that than just have you put it in their mailbox yeah. and then take it, you know? Yeah, even in my mom's small town, I was standing by the post office or post, uh, what do you call it? mailbox words? And I was waiting for the post office guy who's seen me a bunch because I've been here a bunch and he still, he wouldn't, he was like, oh, this is for your mom. And he had to open the mailbox and put it in there and our town has 6,000 people. But I was like, I get it. Like you got to do what you got to do. Okay. So post office was your favorite. Was it because of, you said the walking and you could walk a loop and it was physical. Did you lose weight when you worked that job? Probably not. I probably just kind of maintained because I like, I just kind of always gain weight. So (laughs) at that time, And that's Relatable. Time I just kept it the same. <laughs> okay, got for it. The whole time that I there, so that was solid. Okay, good. Yeah. Hey, we're winning. So, were you able to? Because what would be those hours? Were you able to do comedy at night for that? And then, or, and was that was because that was after the security job? So, were you? Yeah. Would would you be able to hit the circuit and then get up and do it all over again the next day? For sure. Yeah. Like mailman, letter carrier is a good job if you're doing comedy because it's like. I mean, it's not nine to five. I think it might be like eight to five or eight to six or something. But six o'clock, you can get out of there. And if you're smart about it, you could get to, to somewhere and do a show. Um, and I, I did. I did a lot of shows while I was working there. That's awesome. In fact, yeah, I was definitely doing it when I started the job there because I had, I remember I had done a show at a place called Great Scott and they put these big X's on my hands. And during the job interview, the guy that was interviewing me was like, why do you have these giant X's on your hands? <laughs> and it was like, just because I didn't show them my, I was 21 or older or whatever, but I had, I didn't show them my ID because I wasn't going to be drinking. And they were like, we're just going to mark you off then. So I was like, all right. 
I love it. So you still got the job. Uh, okay. So yep. you, you, you lasted being in the post office. I don't know if I wrote down, you said about a year. So why, why did you stop after a year? Um, that was when I was like, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to college and, um, get my education in business. I'm going to be a business graduate with an associate's degree Woo. and I'm going to be a professional. Yay. <laughs> and no. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you so that was your favorite. So besides the the walking around in a loop and you get to park your car and it's physical, what else about that job did you love? They were not so most jobs that I've ever had like pushes productivity and the US post office does not. <laughs> <laughs> most jobs want you to do more than you should be able to do, honestly. Um, but the US post office, they are um they time their routes. So like if you are, if you're a temp and you're doing somebody else's route and you come back an hour early, that regular is not going to be happy that you did their route an hour faster than they do it. So they're kind of like, hey, this is how long the route takes. That's how long the route takes, you know, <laughs> and you kind of get that idea and go like, but in fairness, there are light mail days. You know, what I mean, there's days when the mail is just lighter and you can just get through it quicker. And so if you come back an hour earlier and they're like, oh, it only takes this long to do it. Well, when it's a regular mail day or a heavier day, like, you know, you're not going to have time. So um, they're kind of, yeah, it it was nice that they were like, this is just how long it takes. End of issue. I get that. Yeah. Okay. So of those eight jobs we mentioned, which was your least favorite? Oh, man. Um, Probably, I got to say security was probably the, the worst one, the one that had the worst times, hmm. like the bad times at security were worse than anywhere else. Sure. That's a great way of saying it. Is it too traumatizing to share one of the bad times? Um, no, I mean, I could, I could talk about plenty, but I mean, it's generally just like a lot of times people spitting at you and telling you that they want to kill you, you know, other times when you're, you know, watching somebody have a catheter put in that you, you know, that they're like combative, but they have to have this done. Like, I mean, things like that were like pretty awful. Um, there was one guy that like asked, they couldn't let him out of his bed cause he was a flight risk and he asked for a bedpan and he like, they closed the curtain on him and he spent like a good five minutes, like very vocally grunting. And then when the nurse came back in, he threw it at the nurse and it was empty, but he like, you know, was trying to make a show of it. Um, things like that would happen there. So those sorts of things. And then there were just times when you felt like you were in danger. Like there was one guy that was probably like 300 pounds, like muscle, like 300 pounds of muscle. That was like, I'm leaving. And I was the supervisor at the time. And I told the guy that I wasn't working in the ER. You know, I came down there to help, but I wasn't stationed there. And once we got this 300 pound guy calmed down enough where I was like, he's probably fine. Doctors and nurses didn't want to restrain him you know, whatever. I went like, okay, I told the guy that was sitting in the ER, who was a small guy, I told him, if this 300 pound dude tries to leave, and he's going to get physical with you, let him leave. Like, you cannot stop him. You're only going to get hurt. And of course, I walked back down, because I got a call on the radio, like a frantic call. And I walked back down there. And this like, 95 pound security guard has this 300 pound dude by one arm, and he's getting like slammed off the wall, trying to hold him still. And I got to grab the other arm now, you know, and we all like four or five or six of us, you know, have to 
get this guy under control and um, things like that. You know, that was a real moment where you're like, somebody could get seriously hurt here. And luckily nobody did. But, you know, things like that would happen sometimes. Oh, Sean, it's making my stomach like churn because it makes me think of all of you that ever worked. I mean, you're a full time comic now, but like anybody who ever worked in anything related with mental to mental health, which customer service often is, but specifically healthcare. I we are simply and this is such an empty platitude, but I mean it. We are simply not paying those human beings enough money to tolerate all of the risk and all of like it has to be. I don't know if you believe in God, that has to be a higher calling from something beyond you to stick through that work, especially during COVID, where you had combative, you know, not only combative patients but combative family members and different ideologies. And this is a comedy podcast, but I will never <laughs> stop saying that they are not paid enough. Like, God bless you. Well, thank you for doing that work. I would that would have been my least favorite as well. And then, of course, you had to get into comedy. You have to take these stories somewhere. You can't let all of that bottle up inside of you. Okay. Well, I think you've sort of answered this, but feel free to give us a different story. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Oh, um, I was once asked when I was a landscaper. I was once asked to. I don't think this is. It's not that weird, but it's dangerous. Um, I was asked to stand on like the very end of a fork for like a bobcat to help like like um, get the right amount of weight on it so that it didn't flip over. And I was like, but what if we're right? What if we're off on this calculation? Yeah. And then I flipped with the bobcat, you know? So I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. And I did a lot of dangerous stuff as a landscaper, but you know, that one was beyond, I thought that was a little bit too far. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, because if yeah. your calculation is off by a pound, I don't think people know how deadly those are to operate. That's why like when people are like, oh, you have to be trained on that or why is that a union job or whatever? It's like, because that literally just one inch off, you will die operating something yeah. that heavy. It's why you can't even take DayQuil when you're operating that stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's not just a car. Okay, uh, that is for sure the weirdest thing. Uh, was there ever an incident that happened that made any customer ask to speak to your manager at any of these jobs? Oh, just like, like I said, that one earlier where that guy was trying to basically steal a bunch of yeah. stuff. Okay. And I was like, well, no. But no, I never really did anything. I, I don't think I ever prompted anybody to want to speak to the manager. I was basically, I wasn't like the best employee, but I did what I needed to do to get by. You know, like yeah. I wasn't just yelling at people coming through my line. Yeah. And you have kind of a calm energy. So I could see people like not even trying you because you don't you don't have the energy of like someone who's right on the edge. So, yeah, <laughs> you, you seem like someone nobody would test has. Uh, what was the last straw that got you out of any of these jobs? Was there a moment where you were like, flip a table, get me out of here? Or was the quitting kind of all related to what you had said earlier of like, oh, this job pays a little bit more. My friend recommended me for this or whatever. Yeah. I mean, basically, every time that I left a job, it was because of uh, either I saw an opportunity somewhere else that might be better for me, or I didn't see any opportunities in the company that I was in. Like with the US post office, even though I liked that job, they were in a hiring freeze. So I was gonna be a temp indefinitely and doing other people's routes and stuff like that. I wouldn't have a very secure position there for a long time. So that's why I left there. Um, I mean, but yeah, basically every time until I was a painter and I quit my job, for comedy. That was the last time that I worked like full time was painting cars. And um, if they had if they had given me the raise that I asked for, I probably would just be a painter right now. <laughs> Good. I'm glad they didn't. You were supposed to be doing but comedy. Good. Yeah, yeah. What got you into painting cars? That's a really specific skill that is hard as hell. 
My brother works in auto body and he was he went into it straight from high school. He was 18 years old. So he's like a master at it now. But I think he was like four years in. He was like, you should come paint cars because it's like pretty good money and they need people. And you're like the right type of person for it because you're like very like you, the details are really important. Like people need to be very detail oriented on it. Like um, so I was like, OK, I'll give it a try. And I went over and I did that for a little while. And I became pretty good at it, but yeah, again, it's just like another one of those things where a company is like, we want this much of the pie and we want the worker to have this, this little sliver of the pie. And I eventually went like, no, I'm not, you know, I can do other things. So I left. It's weird how that's not, that business model is slowly not working out over and over and over. Like we're seeing more of the peasants revolt with that now. And it's like, again, it's not that everybody doesn't want to work. It's that we see you profiting billions off of the backs of our labor. And we're seeing to your illustration, just the teensiest little sliver of that, like a pencil line in their pie chart. So yeah, I get it. Um, Have you ever gotten in a customer's face or been pushed to your limit? You don't strike me as that kind of person, but has there ever been a moment where you were like, I'm going off? I don't think that I've ever done anything like that. Although I'd say that the closest thing might have been somewhat recently when I was at the comedy club that I run with my wife and somebody was leaving and they had a beer in their hand. And like we have a we have an on premise uh, liquor license and beer license, which means you can only drink when you're on the premise. We can't sell beer that you leave with. And so this guy was walking out with a beer in his hand and I said, hey, uh, excuse me, you have to like leave your beer inside of the room. And he said, no, I don't. And I was wearing glasses because I just got glasses for the first time in my life. I've never had glasses before, but I was wearing them at the time. And I said, uh, I said, yes, you do. And then he got like, I could tell that he was getting sort of, he looked kind of confrontational. And I, like you said earlier, you don't know what they're going to do next. So I took my glasses off because they're expensive and I didn't want them to get damaged. I didn't know if he was going to take a swing at me. And he just handed me the beer because he thought I was ready to throw down. <laughs> <laughs> what a power move, Sean. Well done. <laughs> You're more caring about it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I got these at LensCrafters. They cost me $300. You will not be breaking these. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's really funny. I bet that visual was awesome. Okay. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? Oh, man. Well, the time that guy peed in the bucket at uh, Home Depot, probably a drop got on me. I'm sure. Um, Certainly when I was working at the hospital, I got spit on. And, um, you know, who knows? Some of the people that came in, their clothes were covered in it, you know, and like excrement bodily fluids. And I would have to deal with that. Um, So probably all of them. Yeah, (laughs) that's a fair answer. Okay. Were you ever in the hospital? I always wonder this because you know how there you can get exposed to things through blood exposure. Were you ever in that position where like blood got on you and then they had to do the whole rigmarole where they tested you for six months and made sure you were okay and blah, blah, blah? No, I don't think actually that's true. I don't think I ever got any blood on me. Okay. Um, so I think that's fine. Oh, okay. It's good. just everything else. Just everything like, else. So you should relax because yeah. nobody bled on you. So who cares? Yeah, everything else. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. Uh, are you a tipper since you've never worked a job that's a tipped position? Do you tip? Um, yeah, but like, I mean, uh, delivering papers is like a tip position really because the money that you get without being tipped is almost nothing. So, um, so that was my first job was basically all the money I made off of it was tips. I so I think know. that kind of like informed my um, attitude towards tipping. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely tipping on everything 
somebody flips the screen towards me and it's something that I don't normally tip on. I'm tipping on it now. <laughs> like, I yeah, just, it's like, you know, it's frustrating. I, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Cause like, sometimes you're just like, well, there's nothing, there's no thing that you did here besides the normal thing. And yeah. Uh, but you know, that's just how it is. Cause I, cause at the end of the day, I'm like, this is somebody that's trying to make their living. And like, yeah, maybe if I, if I toss them an extra buck or two or whatever, you know, maybe their life is better for it. You know, like that goes to the employee directly. So it's hard to say no to it, even though it's like, oh, you poured me a coffee and handed it to me. And like, I have to put my own cream in it. And then there's like a thing that says like 20, 30 or 40% tip, you know, even though I'm like, what did you do? At the same time, I'm like, this person works in a coffee shop. This money is going to go directly to them. Like, I don't know. I just tip. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. And it's such, a, I've done, I dedicated a whole episode to it because the amount of emails we got about just tipflation in the general, like it's crazy. Yeah. But um, do you ever not tip? Is there a moment when you're like, oh, this service is so bad? Like, and I mean, in a normal tip setting, like a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is, I have at, in my life, I have probably once or twice been like nothing because it was not like bad service. It was like bad service, no service, attitude, like, you know, everything where you're just like, I don't know why you're mad at me. That <laughs> like, what did I do? I came in here <laughs> and asked for a very normal thing that you make and usually <laughs> deliver to a table of somebody that asked for it. So I have at times when I'm like, oh, this, this was like, took way too long. The person was rude about it. Uh, but like once in my life or twice in my life, maybe. And I will say that the other person that I was with was like, you cannot do that. Even if this person like yelled at you or whatever. And I'm like, I, and we had a disagreement on that, you know? And I was like, that's fine. But also like, they'll be fine without this $3. Like, I don't know. It's not something that I'd ever do. I don't know that I'd ever do it again, but in my life I have, you know, we've all done things that we're not in proud of you know oh i i mean you know even having this podcast and having discussed this with a ton of people there are moments where i just am like oh this human being actually doesn't want a tip and that's the yeah. message i'm receiving is they want to get out of this job or something is going on but if you are disrespectful and you're openly so i uh, like i might leave a buck just because it's really hard to leave zero, but mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I don't like rewarding bad behavior. And there were times at the comedy club, like I, there was one night I got stiffed like 17 times in a row. Cause I was the only person working that particular room and it was awful, but I had this shittiest attitude. Like I was pissed that I got stiffed that much, but I was like, I wouldn't have tipped me. I ignored your table. I was clearly <laughs> overwhelmed. I was being a bitch. Like it wasn't like I walked away and thought, I crushed it on the service. How come they didn't reward me? So I believe that those servers and bartenders are aware. They just think it's kitschy or cute to be shitty. And it's like, it's not though. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Um, have you ever been fired from a customer service job? Um, no, I, okay. I got told that I was fired once, but then they um, made me sign some paperwork saying that I quit so that they didn't have to pay me unemployment. So. That's bullshit, Sean. What job yeah. was that? I didn't even mention this one. It was a, a retail store called Ames that was in Hanover, Massachusetts. And um, I mean, to be fair, I deserve to be fired. <laughs> Why? I, had, <laughs> I hadn't shown up for work for like two days. Like, I scheduled the work <laughs> and I just didn't show up. And then my boss called me and he was like, hey, um, 
are you going to be in today? And I was like, nah. <laughs> and then he was like, are you going to be in tomorrow? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And he was like, well, then you're fired. And I was like, all right. Okay. <laughs> and then when I went in, he was like, sign this thing saying that you quit. And I was like, all right. We'll do. So it's all kind of, I mean, he said I was fired. Really, I was quitting without notice. It was a bad job. Yeah, that strikes me as, that. Uh, I mean, I can't get mad at you. Final question in this section, who's the worst customer you ever had to interact with? Or if you can't think of one, an archetype of who the worst would be. And obviously the psychiatric patients are, of course, let's take that off the table because it's very obvious. I mean, in a retail setting or at Home Depot, minus the pisser, we already heard about him. But somebody that you're just like, oh, when this style of human comes in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to just ignore them because they're so bad. Yeah, I think that it's the guys that, like at Home Depot, guys that will like come up to the register and they're just like immediately like, don't ever get married, man. Like, you know, because they're going through something at their house where they're doing a renovation or they're fixing whatever and their wife is maybe not getting along with them at the moment. And then they just want to joke around with you and I don't know, say misogynistic things. And you're just like, okay, bro, but you. I don't know what you do in that position because you're like, you're an employee. You're like supposed to be giving good customer service, but they're saying awful things that you should be like, dude, you can't say that. <laughs> but is this the time for you to get on your soapbox? Probably not. Like, does Home Depot want that? I don't know. <laughs> is Home Depot taking a hard stance on misogyny? Like, probably right? not. <laughs> like, that's probably not. not. <laughs> yeah. That's probably not their brand. And, you know, I could say some things about that corporation that I know that would con can confirm that that's not really their whole, uh, that's not the, the hill they're willing to die on. So, okay, cool. So you just are like, LOL, but those are the guys that make you just, you're just like this, that, that, that style of I hate human. it. Yeah. I hate being in conversation with some dude that's like spouting off a bunch of stuff that, you know, you're just like, this is so dumb. What you're saying is, uh, you know, you think it's very funny. Mm -hmm. It's like the most common like joke that people yeah. make. It, it's not original. And you just have to sit there and be like, ha ha. OK, here it's 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Here's your paint. Go home yep. and cheat on your wife more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. not a fun experience. That's the first time anyone's ever given that answer. And I've done a lot of interviews. I'm impressed. It's rare I hear something new. Um, okay, well, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. What is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Oh, um, I think once when I was working at Home Depot again, um, I had, this was very early on, and I was a cashier, so... I was not like working the aisles and helping people find things. But at that time, their policy was like, it doesn't matter where you work. If somebody needs help, just like bring them all the way to the thing. And that's what I did. I like went, I went to wherever the thing was. I found it with them, even though I didn't know where it was. I like helped them find it and like all this. And then they like went to my manager and told my manager that I had helped them, which never happens, you know? So that sort of thing, um, that's probably the nicest thing that, you know, customers ever done for me is try to like let management know that I was doing a good job. That's my ministry. I mean, I'm not a hero, but like I will at every restaurant I go to or every retail store when someone is, is awesome and goes above and beyond, especially in a retail setting where you're not going to get tipped, you're just doing it mm -hmm. to be cool. 
I I will waste my own time trying to find someone to sing their praises because it people don't. And often if they're going to find a manager, I say this on the show all the time, if they're looking to find a manager at a restaurant or a bar, it is 99.99999% of the time to bitch about some expectation they had that was not met. And so if you go and give the manager something positive, it also fills their tank. So it's not just about the employee that did the nice thing. It's like, hey, you can survive another day. Like someone sees the good you're trying to do. So that that is the ministry that I hope. And if no one gets anything else from this show, get like start doing that. Find managers to say nice things because it really does make a difference. Okay, who's your favorite customer that you've ever interacted with? Um, I think my favorite customers are also the people that joke around, but in a way that I enjoy. (laughs) Sean Carter specific comedy. Got it. Yeah. Comedy is subjective. Sure is. So when you come to me and I'm checking you out at the register, bring your jokes, but make sure that they're the ones that I like. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. I do. I just like somebody that's in a pleasant mood and that is easy to work with for that moment. You know, like, when you're working with a customer in any regard, whether it's like checking them out or making them a coffee or like you're giving them their mail, you know, like just somebody that is like happy to see you and is like enjoying their experience is the best. And like, you know, if that's not happening, maybe it's on the company that maybe they failed somewhere along the way. Who knows? But um, but it is great. Oh, one other thing that people did. I, would, I do want to mention this because it's actually really nice and a lot of people don't know about it. But um, one of my favorite things that anybody ever did for me was when I worked for the post office and I was a letter carrier is sometimes people would leave like a cold water in the mailbox on a hot day. And that that can change your whole day if you're delivering mail. So, oh, I didn't even think about that. That is really, really lovely. There are some really thoughtful, lovely humans. That's lovely. And uh, what is the best lesson you have personally learned from working in customer service? Oh, man. Um, I would say probably that everybody is just having their own day. You know, like some people are testy because they've got a lot of other stuff going on right now that has nothing to do with you and you can't take it personally. Like, don't worry about it, that they were shitty, you know, and um, that's basically it. You know, like it's not you. Most of the time, it's not you. I love that. That's really accurate. And then final question, what is one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers generally? I would say just like saying thank you, I guess, you know, like it seems like so silly, but it's the most basic thing that you can do. You know, when you serve somebody and they just like walk away or like break eye contact and like you know, it doesn't have to be thank you. It could be like a head nod or some acknowledgement that somebody has served you, even if you paid for it, like they're probably barely scraping by on this. So like, you know, just any acknowledgement that they, they help you in that day is very nice. Well, and I'm going to up the ante of what I think you're also saying is like acknowledging that they're a human being fully realized outside of this position of service to you in this moment, that they have a family and they have their own, you know, similar to what you had said about everybody's having their own day. It's like everybody's having their own life, you know, just like realize that they, this is what they do to pay their bills. This may not be you know, the, the calling that they feel like was for them on the planet. Yeah. Yeah, Not they probably it. didn't like wake up this morning thinking, God, I can't wait to serve a cosmopolitan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some lady at 
eight fifteen tonight or whatever. <laughs> or in the morning if we're at the airport. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Okay. Well, Sean, how can people find you? How stoked are you for the new album? Like where I know we talked about in the beginning where people can get it, but please remind them. And again, folks, we're gonna put all this stuff in the show notes, but just so people can hear it, get 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 eyes on yourself. Tell us your Instagram. I know you have a YouTube channel. Give us all that info. Yeah, so uh, on YouTube, if you just search Sean Carter Comedy, you'll find me. Um, Instagram, TikTok, Sean Carter Comedy. I keep it pretty simple. And then uh, the the album is on iTunes and Bandcamp available for pre-order now. Like I said, there's a track that you can listen to at this point already if you pre-order. Um, and then it's also on Blonde Medicine's website. Um, so yeah, you can follow me at all of those things. Uh, always love having more people, you know, along for the ride. We got to do that. And tell us the name of the album one more time. Oh, yeah. It is Boston to Bristol. Uh, it has to do with, you know, growing up in this area, Boston, Massachusetts, and then moving down south and, you know, being a Yankee down there and just what that's like. It's different. Can you, before we get out of here, can you just tell me what the Southern hospitality thing? Cause I think that's so real that we have to adjust to that. What's something that you've had to adjust to that you were like, Oh, like it's uncomfortable, but I, <laughs> oof, I'm adjusting. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I talk about this on the uh, album a bit, but like basically strangers will talk to you. Strangers will set up con like just start talking to you on the street. Like when my mother-in-law came to visit in Quincy, she was like baffled that people wouldn't wave to her when they walking by, you know? So like down there, a lot of people will just talk to you out of nowhere. You get like invited to church by strangers constantly, you know, like that sort of thing happens a lot. And um, I do talk about it on the album and um, it's, it's a real thing. Uh, that is real. Okay. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you, wherever you listen. It actually really does help, and it will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you. Wow. We always love hearing from you. I am bad at this, apparently. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Sean, thank you so much for being on. It was lovely to meet you. I can't wait to, to get your album and find him on everything, everybody. All right, folks, we'll see you next week. Good night. Thanks, Sean. That was great. Thank you. Appreciate you. Great. Yeah. Um, I am. I wanted to say this on, on when we were recording, but I was like, I better not. But from the Home Depot, I don't know where you align, um, but I will just say uh, they are huge donators to the uh, Trump campaign. And so as soon as I found oh, that out, I was yeah. like, I did not it. know that, although I should have guessed that. Yeah, they're know. super religious, I guess, the owners. And not that those things are mutually exclusive. I have religious friends who are not fans of Trump, yeah, but yeah. there's, uh, yeah, I, I read a bunch of stuff about them and I was like, dang it, because it's the only like, I don't know, warehouse carpentry type of place, home, yeah, anything. Yeah, there's no other, well, Lowe's, Lowe's and Home Depot and Lowe's but, is probably the same thing anyways, but. They donated, yeah, but not I, as much. <laughs> I, I, wish I, had, I wish I had known that before we started, because when you asked why I left, I'd be like, I knew they were going to support Trump. <laughs> <That's why> I <laughs> but I have to, that is the one thing where I'm like, I don't know how much I can, I mean, it's public information, right? When a corporation that's yeah, publicly yeah. traded donates, but. 
as as soon as she's at Home Depot, I was like, I have so many questions. Um, did people ever <laughs> steal wood? Would they ever like walk out with like a big thing of wood and really try to go for it? Yeah, I think people will try to walk out with all kinds of things, and then you just go like, "Hey, where are you going?" And they go, "Oh, I was just trying to talk to my buddy over here." Yeah, I'll and bet. They come back and pay for it. I'll bet. But like a lot of the loss in there, I think, was from employees because like I had friends that would just be like, somebody would come to their line. It'd be like somebody that they know and they just ring up like two of the like 20 things on their cart. Damn. And just like let them go through. And there was nobody at the door to like check receipts or anything. So, That's I true. mean, I probably saw like thousands of dollars go out that door like every day that Jeez. you want to pay for. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, karma is a, a whatever they say. 